This is episode number 135 with our guest, Christian Pepe. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, thank you for joining us and tuning right into this episode. Christian Pepe is my guest, and he got a front row look at the need for business reinvention when he was working as a teen in the family business. His father was a successful entrepreneur who owned a movie rental store. You remember the days when... You wanted to watch a movie, what'd you have to do? You had to go to the store, browse the available rentals, and rent the movie on VHS, or even prior to that, beta, and take the movie home to watch it. These operated as independent stores, of course. That is, until Blockbuster came to town. Christian's family business went out of business. Today, Christian is the founder of First Equity Funding, an asset-based real estate lender. Christian himself needed to reinvent his own business, especially during the money crisis of 2008. Tune into this fascinating discussion on how, when, and why reinvention becomes necessary. By the way, as you'll hear, this interview took place during the inaugural PodMax event. That's a full-day event created by on-air brands for entrepreneurs and business people to get their message out in a big way by being interviewed and sitting down as a guest with some of the biggest podcasts in their industry. If this sounds like something you'd like to do to quickly and efficiently get your own message out to the masses, through podcasts, apply to be part of the next PodMax event happening soon by visiting podmax.co. Here is my interview with Christian Pepe. Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owners, turn your smartphone into a cash register. PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy way to get paid in store, and they deliver the same security and trust PayPal is known for online, in person, even if you're a cash-only business. With PayPal QR codes, you can accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. There's no additional hardware or software needed. Generate your unique QR code from the PayPal app and display it on your device or print it to display in store. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app. You only need your smartphone. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. 
We want the best of both worlds. We want a hybrid. A smarter hybrid cloud approach with IBM helps retailers manage supply chains with Watson AI while predicting demands with ease. The world is going hybrid with IBM. Visit ibm.com slash hybrid cloud. Welcome in. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us as we continue our live broadcast from the PodMax event created and hosted by Eric Cabral and the On Air Brands team. Happy to be a part of it. Having a great day. And with me live in the studio right now is Christian Pepe. He's the founder of First Equity Funding. What's going on, Christian? Not too much, Josh. Thanks for having me. Are you having a great day? Do you love this event? I am. This is very, very cool. It's a unique thing. It's working for you. It is. Have you done something like this before? I have not. I have not. I got to be honest. The whole podcast universe is something that's relatively new to me. Um, We've done a few podcasts uh, with First Equity of our own, just literally a handful of them. So, uh, but yeah, this is a kind of unique thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about First Equity funding uh, in in, in general. Just paint the picture so we have the foundation of who you are. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, essentially, we are a lender that focuses on lending to investors. So we offer short-term fix and flip bridge loans for investors that are looking to buy and fix properties. Uh, And we also have some long-term options for investors that want to hold rental properties. And our focus is more on asset-based lending. You know, people use the term hard money lending, uh, but essentially we focus more on the project and does the asset itself make sense and less about the red tape of the individual personal tax returns and things like that, that make it hard sometimes for investors to get this type of capital and funding. Why is that so exciting to you? Sure. Yeah. So my background is in more traditional conventional lending. Um, and, you know, it's always been difficult for investors to get financing if borrowers are self-employed, uh, have variety of LLCs and, and just certain things that, that make it very hard for them to get traditional loans. Uh, and then especially when the downturn in the market happened in 2008, 2009, a lot of product offerings went away. So it's always been tough. And I just felt like in the conventional world, no one ever got it right in terms of what they should be focusing on for investors. You know, like I said, if it's a rental property in the conventional world, it was always, well, how much does he show on his personal tax return and less about, well, the, is the asset cash flowing? You know what I mean? Is there strong rental income coming in? I mean, obviously we want to look at equity in the property and credit score too, but we make it more focused on on that asset. So hmm. that's exciting. Wow. And you, you mentioned the 2008, 2009 era, you were at, at- actually part of this industry then sure that must have had tell me what kind of impact what in the world happened yeah yeah i mean literally went from having a ton of product offerings to when i i mean it was like a light switch got shut off i mean literally overnight you know the huge wall street you know investment banks that were going under and you know when the bubble burst i mean literally immediately i I would say 80 to 90 percent of the products that we were offering went away overnight and you, this is in a business that is your business. Sure. Yeah, yeah, How so, big was it at the time? Yeah, I mean, good question. I, I, but I think at our peak, we probably had, you know, maybe 15 loan officers working for us, a staff of maybe like 25 That's people. significant. Yeah, it was, it was pretty significant. We had a legitimate um, mortgage brokerage. I mean, we were mainly a New Jersey lender at the time. And uh, yeah, I mean, literally just the outlets of where we would we would sell and place loans was just gone. So you 
are now in a predicament. How how do you react honestly? Like, what do, do you go in the corner and cry for a little bit? Yeah, like, like for, really? What yeah, for, for a little bit. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And you know, you had people working for you that counted on you, and that you had to try to, you know. You know, by the origination and sales that you did and your team did literally was people's livelihood and, and people's families and everything were on the line. So, you know, we had to reinvent ourselves. I mean, listen, we still had it got back to the basics. I mean, we in, in hindsight, looking back, you know, when you're in caught up in the middle of it, you know, it's kind of hard to see between the lines when that's, you know, you had these investment banks buying these loans and it all seemed normal. You know, I was a younger person at the time and it was the way it was. And then, you know, you take a step back and look back and say, all right, well, a lot of these loan programs shouldn't have been there. I mean, I'll be the first to <laughs> first to admit that. Um, I mean, if you've, I don't know if you've seen The Big Short, but that movie, I mean, I, I think does a tremendous job of summarizing all of it from, you know, on the, the street level to the Wall Street level for the rating system level and and all that, that kind of stuff that was, was going on. It does a really good job of capturing it. Um, but uh, but anyway, so I mean, we still had traditional loan programs that are still around, you know, and available today. And, and I, like I said, I got back to the basics and doing loan programs that you're confidently doing that you feel are the right programs to really help people promote home ownership and and get into homes. Um, but we had to reinvent ourselves, and and at the time. You know, people couldn't refinance because they had no equity in their home and, you know, all, all kinds of things. So, um, you know, we kind of segued into some different things. I love the word reinvention. It's so applicable to uh, anybody listening, no matter what industry or role they're in. It's something that may be necessary. How do you define what really reinvention is and and what's required and how did you yeah. how did you get from point A to point B? Yeah, it's kind of I mean I think looking at something and that's just not working anymore, right? You know, you have to refigure things out. I mean, you can't just beat your head against the wall and say this is the way we're going to do it. So you, you had to take a step back and say, well, what can we offer? What where is there a need? Where is there a void in in the marketplace? And how can we you know, be of service or, or bring something that's going to going to fill that that void. Um, and for us, it was really you know this this hard money lending or investor lending that, that we do. I mean, it got there was such an overcorrection. I mean, look, the no doc loans, the hundred percent financing, all this type of stuff that went away that should have went away fine. But there was also a lot of in, and there was a lot of at that time foreclosed distressed properties and and it's really uh, you know investors that needed to come in fix them up and flip them to really kind of stabilize a lot of these these properties and and at the time in 0809 you were either a cash buyer or you were on the sidelines so our product really allowed other people to kind of get into the mix and and have an opportunity to to you know profit off real estate was there in your in your experience with the uh, future of reinvention being necessary. Was there any element of resistance or a pride factor? Like, no, we're just going to continue to to move ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I think some people would just resist that and say, no, no. Yeah, no, no, I, I, absolutely. It was, you know, you had to take a step back and, and it wasn't, I mean, listen, now there's a lot of investors in the, the marketplace and it's more of a flourishing business, but it wasn't because a lot of people were still on the sidelines, not knowing if it was the right time to kind of, kind of jump in. So it was interesting, interesting times to say the, to say the least, but, um, but yeah, I, I think you have to just have that gut check. I mean, yeah, there was a little bit of that crying in the, in the corner, but you had to have that gut check and say, this isn't working anymore. Did you have also any sort of um, emotional people in place that you could really rely on and, and evaluate things with? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, definitely have, you know, strong partners, strong staff, um, people that have a, you know, a, a find a solution type attitude. And, and I think that that's key, you know, mm-hmm. not just what was me or think about, you know, what, what went wrong or how it used to be or whatever. And, and really focusing on, you know, what can we do that's meaningful to really kind of, you know, move the ball forward. What do you, do you identify with the label entrepreneur? I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think anybody that's, you know, self-employed and not willing, not, well, I should say not willing, but just not working a job where, you know, you're just getting a, getting a paycheck and, you know, not that you're not doing a job, but people aren't relying, you know, on you to further livelihood. And, and I think that is my definition, a little bit of an entrepreneur, somebody who's willing to think outside the box and take chances and, and try different things and not just have a, you know, standard be a little bit more maybe control in your of your own destiny. What was life like growing up as a young child for you? I had a good a good childhood. I was uh, an only child, um, but had a great. I mean, my parents are are great. Um, actually, my mother still works for me. Actually, and my mom's actually worked for me in my office for probably about the last ten years. She's uh, works in our operations uh, loan processing department, so we have a close relationship that we you know work get to work together every every day. Um, but yeah, had a, had a great, great childhood. As an only child, what, lo- looking back, has that really shaped anything? Yeah. I mean, I was fortunate enough to have very close extended family. So I had cousins that I was close with and everything, but, um, I think, yeah, maybe being an only child, you have to kind of use your imagination with things, you know, not always having somebody, you know, next to you to, to, to play with or whatever. So you kind of maybe, uh, get to do some, some deeper thinking maybe, I guess. I don't know. And what was, uh, I know your father, he was an entrepreneur every bit too. So you had the luxury of having a front row seat to that. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would consider him an entrepreneur. I mean, he was a, a small business, a uh, small business owner. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, he was always, you know, seeing him being able to, you know, take chances and someone who wasn't a formally educated, you know, person be able to go out, take a chance and, and have a thriving, uh, business. And I think it's definitely, uh, encouraged me to not be afraid to, to try, to try things. What was his business? So he owned in the eighties, he owned several video stores. Um, you know, but just to put it into perspective, uh, he had, it was back in the days when there was a, a VHS and beta section. So if that puts uh, any, any timing of that. So yeah. And then, I mean, prior to that, my father was a barber. I mean, he was a barber and just decided that he wanted to, he saw this as something like a wave of the future and, you know, just kind of went out and, you know, took on a partner and they went out and opened one and then they had, had two more and it was, you know, quite successful for, for a long time. I mean, the game changed when, Blockbuster came in and everything else. And now to think even Blockbuster not being around is kind of crazy when, mm. when you think about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So that's interesting. So he, because uh, back in the 80s, I mean, these kinds of videotape rental stores, they were the thing. The thing, yeah. Uh, how And, and he, he had three stores. That's three magnificent. Stores. Yeah. How, how long? Like several years? Ten, yeah, ten I would say about ten, 10 years or so. And he saw the writing on the wall when, you know, Blockbuster, you heard, like, I think it was like West Coast Video was another big one. There were some big chains that were that were coming in. So I, I, I think he saw the writing on the wall and, you know, kind of got out at the, at, at, the oh, right, at the right time. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Wow. Yeah. So it's not even that um, he saw that like the the format. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, which is why yeah. he wasn't even around when when like he, he didn't stay around for the era of blockbusters. Yeah. 
capitalizing on the whole. Yeah. And that's, that's another, I mean, that's an example of, you know, just trying to keep doing the same thing, right? Like you oh, know, yeah. a lot of the mom and pop shops just thinking, ah, you know, I mean, if you have that personal touch or whatever is going to keep you in business, but it's hard to compete. And, and it's funny, like some of those, you know, even back then, I remember him telling me, I mean, this is like, you know, mid to late eighties. I mean, back then to buy a certain video was, you know, certain ones would be cheap, you know, they'd be $20 or whatever to buy, but some of them were like in the hundreds of dollars to buy the video. You mean so for, the store? for the store to buy the video. Yeah. So for you to think about, you know, now you got to kind of project, you know, how many, how popular is that movie going to be for how long, how many times do you have to rent it over? How many do you buy? Because I mean, in the wow. first week, you know, you, you couldn't, you couldn't have enough. Right. You know what I mean? But then it's like, what's the drop off and your yeah, break even and your return on investment and all that. So it was, it was, you know, hard, uh, you know, hard thing to kind of, kind of balance. And that's where the bigger stores could come in and have, you know, unlimited copies of things and, you know, kind of take it on the chin. And maybe, you know, if you were, I mean, literally somebody would come to the store and you want that new release. And if you're out, cause you didn't buy enough, you know what I mean? Then you'd go to your blockbuster and you wouldn't care that it's not your household, you oh. know, video shop. It's just, you want your, you want your video. I remember those days. They'd come in those uh, big, bulky plastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You had to rewind. Yeah. You were very stickler on that. And you even the, well, I mean, even the the, the VHS. Or else get charged. Not, not to get course. off topic, but the, the VHS beta <laughs> thing was kind of an interesting thing. Wait a second. Because, I'm sorry. First of all, yeah. there, there is no topic. So okay. all right. to say okay. we're not going to get yeah, off yeah. topic, I'm, I'm half kidding. But go ahead. I love <laughs> no, it. No, but like, like, I mean, it was a hard thing, right? Because half the people had beta, half had VHS. So it was like... So you had a whole half your store was that and then everything transitioned to VHS. So but you didn't know at the time. So you had to buy both because people were coming in. And I think from what I recollect, I remember saying that I think beta was actually like a better quality video. Just I think VHS was marketed a little bit better and took off. Wow. So. So fascinating. <laughs> and he had to learn. He was making these projections on like the new release and yeah. how many he yeah. had to learn all that. Yeah. Coming from a barber. Yeah, coming from somebody who didn't have, you know, a formal, formal background. So, yeah. So you watched all this unfold? Yeah, I mean, listen, I was a, I was a young kid, but I would say the, the first glimpse or opportunity that I got as a, you know, a young entrepreneur in my, like, I guess I would say, I mean, it was probably like early teens is um, video game rentals. So like Nintendo's became really popular at that time. So my father actually let me kind of run the video game rental section of the uh, of the video store. In what way? You mean you're you're yeah, the so like you're he the person allowed behind me, the I mean whatever. I yeah, mean he exactly. let me like but Be he let face. me he kind of deferred to me to decide which games to buy oh, wow. and all that type of stuff. I mean being a 12-year-old kid or somewhere around that that age, you know, was probably the the, the best audience or best decision maker. And uh, yeah, so I was able to run, you know, help have input on what to buy, how much to buy, and kind of, you know, ran the the P and L per se on that uh, on that business. So that was my, I would guess my my first kind of opportunity as an entrepreneur. Did you consciously at that point? Did you sort of get bit by that bug and say, you know what, this is, I like this. I'm going to go into business. I think I did. I, I definitely think I did. And he was always involved, you know, always had a, had some real estate, you know, investment properties and oh, things he did. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not many. I mean, he yeah. has, you know, a couple, um, you know, still has a, has a few to this day. And, you know, I saw how, you know, as a blue collar person to really create wealth, you know, you see how that really is arguably one of the only ways in this country that you can do that. You know, why is that? How is that? I don't know. What is that? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think it's risky. I think you know the fact of managing tenants and dealing with that, and 
downturns and things in the market. But, um, but you know, I think we're all jaded by what happened in the last collapse. But if you look longer term, you know, how real estate, what it's done and how even modest home price appreciation. I mean, if you have an asset where, you know, the rent is paying down that debt and even modest two to 3% price appreciation, you know, you compound that over a long period of time and it's real, it's real wealth building. You seem like a, a knowledgeable, confident man today. Was that always the case? Did you always have that instilled in you? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I've always been relatively outgoing, not afraid to, you know, be the center of attention for the for the most part in my right in, environment. Um, but on, on a business side, I would say uh, I wasn't always on the sales side of things. Like when I started our company, I was definitely more on the operation side, overseeing the processing, the underwriting, that type of stuff. And it's been more, I would say, more recent years that I've taken more of a of a role on the on on the sales side. So I would say that's something that early on might have been a little bit intimidating to me, you know, being on the, you know, out there dealing with clients and and, and that type of stuff. That's something that I've developed into more of a salesperson. Hmm. Now, my brand, The Hidden Entrepreneur, was founded on the premise that I spent a lifetime hiding yeah. behind fear, mm-hmm. using that as an excuse to do or not do whatever was necessary. Tell us about a time when you really felt in the face of fear and you could have gone in either direction, but you you powered right through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole, you know, bubble collapse, I mean, that was a serious gut check on whether or not it made sense to continue on as an entrepreneur or, hey, you know, I still have a lot of, you know, I have a college degree, I have a a wealth of knowledge, you know, I could very easily go to maybe more of like a bigger bank or something like that and take on more of a of a just salaried role and not have to worry about, you know, closing deals in order to make money and in order to, you know, to, to keep people employed. Um, so that was, you know, definitely a, a fearful thing and, and something that uh, I think I overcame and, you know, thankful that I, that I stuck it out and did it. And the path you're on now, this is this is the direction for the foreseeable future. This yeah, is this is yeah, what you're riding out. Yeah, I think so. I think you know we're in a really good place as a company. I think uh, we have a lot of experience under on our belt. I think we have a great, unique product offering that that not everybody uh, that not everybody has. Um, so I think we're very well diversified. I think we're we're like a one stop shop for for lending, which I think is uh, is kind of unique. Is that what makes what you're doing work so well? I think so. I think so. I think it's having, you know, people have gotten into this hard money or asset based lending space either one, because they were a flipper and saw that it was an opportunity to make money, or maybe they're, they just see the return on investment and they're more of a, a Wall Street person or has an investment background. I think we have a really unique mix of somebody who, understands lending at its core. I mean, that's really our background. Um, I have a partner who has that Wall Street background. So from a capital raising standpoint and everything. Um, and then, you know, I have a construction and you know, I've managed, you know, over a hundred of my own flip, fix and flip investments too. So, you know, we have a construction company, so we've done spec building and all that type of stuff. So I think we kind of have the, the right combination of lending background, finance background, construction background. And I think it kind of, that, that's what I think makes us unique is we kind of, we could see it from our clients. You know, we have an investor come to us doing a project. We've been in their shoes. You know, we've done these type of projects and we know where they're coming from. So I think it helps us better understand their needs. You're a family man. Yeah. You have children. Children, three boys. 
Three boys. Three boys. Wow, yeah. I'm the youngest of three boys, so okay. I know that environment. Okay. Um, what are is? The, are you the jokester of the group, or? Y- yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, I I've worn that, and I've I've, <laughs> I've analyzed, and I've understood why that okay. was the case. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a psychology major, actually, which has nothing to do with any of this. But I have the whole birth order thing has always been intriguing to me. How that kind of kind of goes. Oh, so when I said I'm the youngest, youngest. What, so what, what, I, I yeah. just I think traditionally, like most comedians are youngest child, and I see it with my youngest now. I mean, he's only three, but I can just see he's a character already. I mean, I don't know if it's just the getting having to make your older brothers laugh or whatever, but uh, shine, I see that in him. stand out, yeah. gain attention. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was also um, uh, a whole act of misdirection. I wanted to use the comedy to uh, to keep the attention off of my true emotions okay. and feelings. Okay. So I would just bounce around and try to make you laugh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that would be good and that would be the nature of the experience and we're not getting into what <laughs> yeah, really is. Keep, uh, keep you out. <laughs> you know, keep the smile on my face but then, I, you know, tears of a clown right right right. there were tears (laughs) lots of tears yeah now but yes but um you know for all of us we all have our own version of that so you have three three boys three boys eight six and three and um were you like cool cool and cool or were you like where's that daughter oh yeah that's a good so all right um i was fortunate so we never found out with any of our kids what we were having um, so we just, you know, we didn't find out beforehand. Sure. So, and I think anybody's lying as a, as a man that you want your boy. Definitely. At least I did. You had to play that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You want a healthy baby, <laughs> but it was a, definitely a sense of relief having my first boy, if I'm being perfectly honest. You mean, so, so you first got, uh, so you got like, pregnant. Yeah. And, and we didn't had, find out. We had right. a baby. It was a boy. And, and you're I was like, like yes, 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 I have my, right. I have oh, my boy. Whenever anybody asked, you're like, what is? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. No, yeah, healthy baby. Healthy, and me right. secretly, I'm like, yes, I have my boy. Um, and then after that, then yeah, our second, same thing, had another boy. And you're like, um, cool. And then this works. And then the third was probably truthfully not little bit of a surprise wasn't totally ready to have three um and then third boy yeah i get i don't know my wife yeah she would want it if it was up to her she would have another and and get that and get that girl i'm i'm definitely content i'm i couldn't be happier having i'm just i'm so blessed to have three healthy boys and i know and truthfully it wouldn't have mattered i mean of course we get that uh, so you have three kids under eight years old. Yes. I have two um, under six. Okay. Six years old. And it's it's just mayhem. Mayhem. Is that is that true for you? It is. Am I allowed to curse? Sure. Shit show. Yeah. Shit show sometimes. Yeah. That's yeah. the best way to describe it. It's just it's it's chaos. It's the best. It's the best in every way, but when they're going in a million different directions it could be just sometimes my wife and i are just like i can't believe that this is our life and it is all i mean it is the best they make me laugh of course funny they're great but it's yeah it's when you're running a business and doing all that and then trying to you know manage it all it could get tricky are you type a are you control totally okay i'm getting that i just want the confirmation on that but now your three children um don't care and and they're going to challenge that right so how do you do you just let that go at home or have you figured out how to instill that at home too what's yeah yeah that's been the that's probably been the toughest part of especially having three kids because then it's out the window you know people tell you the whole man-to-man versus zone defense and it's so true when you're out when you're kind of outnumbered um 
But uh, that's been the biggest lesson for me, I think, as a, as, a, as a parent is you have to let go. You cannot control the situation. I mean, when food's getting thrown on the floor and I'm a total neat freak and uh. I'm like freaking out over that, you just you have to let it go. You just you have to. Right. So I think that's been the biggest thing that I've learned as a, as a father. Wow. Yeah. I- interesting. <laughs> um, do you believe that everything happens for a reason? I think I think so. I think I do. I, I want to believe that. How has that played out in your life? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say. Um, but I think I don't know. I, I, you know, definitely I've learned from mistakes. You could look back and things can go a different way. But I, but I think I've learned out of, of anything, anything bad that's happened to me. I, I think I've been able to to learn from it. So, you know, a lot of these experiences, I think, make you a stronger person or make you look at things a little bit, a little bit differently. So from that aspect, I think. Of course. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? Yeah. 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 I'm, uh, I mean, Roman Catholic. My kids go to. Go to Catholic school. I mean, I go to church on Sundays um, for the most part when, when we when we can when uh, sports and everything don't don't interfere. So yeah, so yeah, I would say I am. Wow. What kind of um, daily habits or rituals are are necessary in your life? Yeah, um, y- you have to be you have to be organized. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm involved in a lot of different a lot of different things. So from you know this lending, doing traditional lending, running construction projects and we have a lot of different different balls in the air at, at, at all times so you know just prioritizing your day um and just you know focusing on the details of of things is a really big is a really big thing for me i think the details are what really make makes a difference you said earlier you were a, a psychology major yeah yeah how did that not go in that direction <laughs> i don't know i you know I, I will say this i think in college i don't think anybody – I don't regret anything, but I don't think anybody should declare a major early on. I think you need some more life experience. Because it's irrelevant, kind of, right? It's saying? just irrelevant. Yeah. It, like I knew by the end it was it was all interesting. I mean I, I have a pretty philosophical, uh, detailed mind. So, I mean there's a lot of things that intrigue me about it. But then from a practical sense of, of really like what a psychologist is and does, it was never something that it was really – my passion. So I, I knew before I was done with college that I, that was not going to be my, you know, profession. But one of the takeaways, like we discovered today was, um, child order. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the takeaways. What else have you discovered about that? About that? Yeah. In terms of the birth order yeah. stuff? Um, I don't know. I'm still trying to, to figure it out. And I don't want to like predetermine my kids or put them in a category either. Um, but you know, you see the, you know, the first child, like, you're just all over them at your first you want you know you're just you're just you're watching their every step and you, and I think that that has an impact in developing a more you know maybe type a type personality and by the third I mean you're kind of like whatever right? right and it and it absolutely has an impact I mean you just you know your first falls and you react and they see your reaction on your face so I think a lot of that does um you know and then the middle child finding their place so to so to speak. So I don't, I don't know, but I, it's all anecdotal because I'm an only child. So I don't have like, you know, the firsthand knowledge of, of all this, but it does. It, I look at my own children and then I did like you, like if we were, you know, do you say you're youngest, youngest of three? Yeah. So like, I mean, what's the personality of your other two 
Brothers. Is it brothers or sisters or? It, no, I'm the youngest of three sons. Of three sons. So exactly, okay. Okay. Exactly like you. Yeah. Like you have. So is your is the oldest the exactly. type A? And, yeah. And how about the middle? He's an overachiever. He, overachiever. He's the, he's the dentist of the family. Okay. Yeah. So he went. Uh, you know, while I wasn't the student. Okay. And couldn't care less about schooling. Um, he he dedicated his whole life to that. That was his mm-hmm. cope. Yeah. And that's how he coped. He's like, well, yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get yeah. all straight A's and yeah. be the successful dentist. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's yeah. like it's kind of like textbook a little bit, yeah, and of I, and I I see that too with my uh, with with my kids. It kind of lines up with what you're saying. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, looking back on what we've touched upon today, for the person listening, taking notes, what what could we wrap up and say that we've been talking about today? What should they take away from this? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just. From, you know, the entrepreneurial standpoint, you know, don't be afraid to follow what you, you know, believe in, you know, take a chance if you can, if you could take a, take a chance. I mean, it's not, I mean, don't do it because it's a easy, if you think it's going to be easier or like, or the flexible schedule and that type of stuff. I don't think that's the reason, but if it's the passion that you feel like you can offer something and bring something to the marketplace, whatever that is, or, or fill a void. Um, don't be afraid to do that. If you think that you could do it your own way and do it and, and do it better than, than anybody else. Um, but you know, be ready for the hard work that comes along with it. And also the idea of reinvention, I think yeah. is uh, amazing. Um, what did your, when your father saw the writing on the walls with with Blockbuster and whatnot. So he he just sold and got out? Sold and got out. And then, honestly, he got into construction. Um, so that's where a little bit of my construction background comes from, too. And again, I mean, you know, I guess he was always doing certain things, maybe growing up or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, ran a successful, you know, pretty boutique construction company, not some huge conglomerate, but, you know, more of like a home renovation contractor, but build his business. And, you know, I mean, I would say, I mean, now he's, essentially retired. But, um, you know, I would say for the last 20 years was always able to provide for our our family and have a business and always everything was always, you know, did good work, word of mouth type thing. And that was just always enough for him to, you know, to to make a living. Hmm. I will leave you with this final question. Christian Pepe, how would you like to be remembered? I'd like to be remembered. Okay. Um, a good, a good family man, you know, somebody, a good father, uh, to my children, um, a good, a good husband, a good friend, somebody who works hard, but somebody who also, you know, doesn't take things too seriously either. I mean, I definitely know how to, how to relax and and have a good time too. And I I try to, I don't always strike that balance, but I, I try hard. So, um, somebody who works hard and I guess plays hard too. I love it. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah, Absolute no pleasure. Problem. Yeah, thank you so much. This was, uh, this was fun. Great. Thank you, Christian. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.